Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. We're back in Madison. Back in Madison after two See You on the Other Side podcasts. From the road, I had a really good time in Alton, Illinois, and Little Rock, Arkansas. You went? I did. It was really fun trying something new, too, with the live recording. And I think it worked out pretty well. I think it's something that we should uh, do again in the future when we're touring, meet some more people, and get some more stories. Definitely. No, I think I think the next Sunspot tour will have several... See you on the other side stops with some people that do uh, some cool things, uh, haunted things and paranormal stuff in their town. Yeah. And I loved it. Me too. I loved it. And I'm glad to be back safe. And um, we apologize. This episode's a little late because we had some vehicle vehicular hijinks uh, <laughs> on the way home. Wendy, what happened to our van? Well, sadly, we had to leave the van in Texas. It started, uh, smoke started billowing out from under the hood. And we had to pull over quickly. And um, long story short, the engine was toast. So we had to. I like the way that you're downplaying it, though, because it wasn't just it, it was like we're rolling. It's, you know, 75 miles an hour down I-35 smoking through the Dallas suburbs. And then all of a sudden, like billowing out of the engine is this smoke and steam and it's terrifying yeah well i thought and, we were gonna blow up i admit right and yeah and wendy's like get out of the van we gotta go <laughs> well, I, she just pulls over she's like oh my god let's go jumps on we like leap out of the van barely it stops barely well, it a stops. couple of times a couple of times i've seen vehicles on the side of the road that were actually in flames you know like like completely up in flames. And that's all I could oh, think sure. about was that's going to be us. And I did not want to take any, we're going to be fricassee. I didn't want to take any chances of it being us with us in the van. So, you know, get out quickly, no. take the valuables and, and let the, the, the disaster run its course, I guess. And by valuables, we mean us. Like <laughs> I, we, we leapt out even before I grabbed my computer and maybe I grabbed my computer with me and then just like, I rolled out, like I did the tuck and roll. <laughs> it was just, no, it was great. Like the van's rolling up, we're jumping out of the sides, and then it explodes all over Texas. But it did continue billowing smoke for about a half an hour, so that thing was Oh, yes. Yeah. No, it looked like a forest fire. We had Native American tribes seeing like from Oklahoma, and they're like, are you trying to contact us? Like, it was great. Oh, my gosh. It was great. No, it, it was terrifying. Um, but uh, so that's why we're late, because we had to take a moving truck with all the band equipment. Um, from Dallas all the way back up to Madison, Wisconsin this week. And then we had to stop, you know, we had to stop in a couple of towns because driving a moving truck, it's not like driving a car where <laughs> you can go 90 fast. miles an hour. It has a limit on it. No, and you're, you know, it, it had a governor. It had a governor at 75 <laughs> miles an hour. So Sammy Hagar would hate that truck. Oh, man. Hey, but he saw aliens. Love that. Guy. True, true. <laughs> so that's why. Yeah, it's a little bit behind schedule, but we're back and excited for some new episodes to come out here. Yeah, I, I would say we've had a lot of great ideas and just all that time in the truck and the van had given us plenty of time to brainstorm new yes. See You on the Other Side podcast ideas That's right. and songs and everything. Um, but this week we're going to go back and I, I recorded this interview a couple days before uh, we left for our tour and 
um, I interviewed a guy who's channeling a spirit. Um. Okay. So what, what could channeling be, you ask? What? What could it be? All right. Okay. Well, you know how they call somebody, okay, somebody who is conducting a seance or talks to the dead, they call them a medium, right? Okay, yeah. Okay, so why, why use the word medium? Is it because they're of medium build? They like medium-sized fries? Ooh, ooh, ooh. What is it, Wendy? Because they're in between the human and the spirit. That's right. They're medium. They are, the, they are like television is a medium. Radio is a medium. It is oh, the... Oh, I was wrong. Okay. Yeah. No, I thought you were right. It's the method of transferring the information. Yeah. No, it's the... So the, the I thought it was um, like they're, they're the medium because they're like in the middle of between the two worlds or something. Like the average between the, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, but I thought I thought you were saying that they were the channel, the the way through, and that um, there was a famous uh, media. <laughs> I'm so famous media guy. No, uh, there was a, a, a scientist back in the 20th century named Marshall McLuhan, and he was studying like the impact of television and the impact of, and how media was changing over time, and his uh, phrase was. The medium is the message. And so when you're watching a TV show or you're seeing a movie or you're listening to the radio, like what you're listening to is just as important of creating the message uh, as to the content you're listening. So if you're watching, let's say, a show like Dancing with the Stars, okay, you're watching that on TV and, you know, I was just thinking about Dancing with the Stars the other day, and I'm like, there's a television show I would never watch if it saved my life. But a lot of people watch it not because they care that A.C. Slater is a good dancer or that, you know, they care that some football player, um, you know, can pirouette. They watch it because 10 million other people are watching it. They're watching it because the whole – the television, the experience of sharing in that with millions of other people means like, something. Right. Like watching the Super Bowl or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Plenty of guys who don't care about sports, guys and girls, I, I mean right. guys in the generic term, watch the Super Bowl because they want to be part of something. Mm -hmm. So the actual watching the television is half the message as much as who wins the Super Bowl. And so there's your – like when you talk about someone who's – talking to the dead or talking to a spirit they're a medium they are the way through i see and so, so when you said channeling ahead. initially what i immediately popped into my head was the ouija board because i imagine mm. somebody like sitting there i'm going to channel the spirit in through my fingertips you know that's is, absolutely right is that a method of of channeling it i mean so i know you can uh, supposedly channel dead people or whatever. <laughs> right. Is that the same thing as spirits? I mean, well, as far as, okay, so, so the famous channelers, I mean, there's, there's mediums and we're going to have a whole episode on spiritualism and people that say they talk to the dead, especially in Wisconsin. We got a place called Camp Wanawak, which is one of the last spiritualist camps in the United States. And wow. we're going to have to, we're going to have to do a field trip there. I was going to say, that'd be a fun, fun drive. Although we have no vehicle now, but We'll figure it out. But they have services on Sundays. They have services on Sundays and they do a whole a whole thing. Um, and you can get a consultation with it. But we'll get there. 
So we'll have a whole episode on spiritualism, Harry Houdini uh, and his search for spiritualism. That's right. um, yeah. The guy, the Sherlock Holmes guy. Who wrote Sherlock Holmes? Um, oh, 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 Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. 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 Right. Sir, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Doyle was a famous, I mean, he loved spiritualism. Like that was something, he was a big proponent of it, while Harry Houdini was a complete, like he would debunk it. Right. And we'll get into that. But these, those were uh, channel channelers that talk to dead human spirits. What Garnett Schulhauser does is he talks to his spirit guide from the astral plane, Albert. Oh. Okay. Now, Albert's not just a dead guy or like somebody's grandma or cousin or ancestor or something. I mean, Albert's from this galactic world of spirits. And it's it's a long tradition of people talking to these galactic spirits and then writing a book about it. And so that's kind of that's kind of we want to do an intro to that kind of thing before okay. we get into, into the interview with Garnet yeah. Schulhauser because so go ahead no I'm sorry go ahead I was just going to say because this isn't just um, he's not the first one to attract somebody from the spirit realm and then write a book about it and and then the like so Albert's thoughts translated through Garnet were the books uh, Dancing on a Stamp and Dancing Forever with Spirit okay. And so um, it's actually, I mean, as far as uh, modern kind of uh, channeled texts, mm-hmm. I mean, it, that goes back to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. So Joseph Smith, who is the, the guy in charge of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormons, um, he was channeling angels and God and the whole thing um, when they were writing the Book of Mormon. And when they have this whole thing, like the, he's got this book of doctrines and covenants. And it kind of, it talks about what the Mormons are supposed to believe and what they should do. I mean, it has some revelations like the plural marriage and the sister wives and the whole deal like that. And, you know, and the whole, but what it is though, is that, I mean, channeled texts, as in people writing down what they say that some great spirit, God, Jesus or whatever flowed through them and into the paper. Like the muse. That's, yeah, that, that's right. They're channeling their muse and their muses from the spirit world. Um, that's the basis of one of the largest religions in the United States. So, like, I mean, the Mormon, we had a Mormon run for right. president last time. <laughs> so if we say, like, a guy like, like Garnett Schulhauser, well, he's got to be crazy. Well, is Mitt Romney crazy because he believes in channel text? I mean, and of course, any liberal listeners would be like, well, of course he is. But you know what I mean? So as far as if you're going to be into religion and stuff like that, this, these whole channel, like channeling a spirit and putting that into paper, that's part of the basis of religion since almost the, since Moses and the burning bush and what God told him what the 10 commandments are. And it, you know, came up to Joseph Smith. And that's probably the earliest example of modern channeled texts and modern, um, spirit channeling. Um, Mary Baker Eddy was the founder of Christian Science, which Christian Science probably deserves its own episode, but um, my father was raised a Christian scientist, and uh, I still don't know anything about it, (laughs) except that they had this reading room. But Mary Baker Baker Eddy was rumored to be like a spirit channeler earlier in her career and everything in in the 19th century. So this was something that people did all the time. They said 
I'm being talked to by somebody from the spirit world. Interesting. Now, yeah, we get into the 20th century and Alistair Crowley. And we, Alistair Crowley, I feel like he's a friend of the show. <laughs> he does come up a he, lot, doesn't he? He comes into modern occultism so much and so much <laughs> of our pop culture, in the dark side of our pop culture. So, of it, so much of it owes to Alistair Crowley. But um, he wrote this thing called the Book of the Law. And the Book of the Law was channeled through him by an entity named Iwas. And then he's Wait, writing wasn't there a book? as... Wasn't there a book called I Was by Steve Wozniak? I, maybe. No, yeah, I was. <laughs> no, I read it. Yes, I'm I think, you. I think Steve Wozniak wrote I Was. And yeah. I think it's, I think Steve Wozniak is I Was. This is a really good book too. Anyway, sorry. He was, I didn't mean to distract did, the topic. I just. No, that's okay. That's okay. Was, did Steve Wozniak talk about Alistair Crowley at all in his book? Uh, not that I remember. Okay. No. He was probably, he talked about Steve Jobs, different guy. Different. <laughs> Different maniac. Um, so I was, and he channels this book of the law, and this is his most famous work. And, I mean, this continues, and different people channel things, and they they write books about it and everything like that through the 20th century until we get to the start of the New Age movement. Okay, the New Age movement, like, it starts in the like 60s and 70s. People start introducing Eastern mysticism into the mainstream of American culture. The hippies get into it. Um, talk about higher consciousness, the age of Aquarius, the whole thing. Um, and, and that's where we start to get like our modern channeled spirits. And the thing about our moder- modern channeled spirits is they seem, well, they're easily made fun of. Like there's uh, Jay-Z Knight. Uh, is an author who has this um, this magical spirit that talks to named Ramtha, and like you know you can you can look up on YouTube videos of Jay Z Knight channeling Ramtha, and it's ridiculous. It's yeah. like <laughs> Ramtha is a Lemurian warrior who fought the Atlanteans over thirty five thousand wow. years ago. Interesting, you know. And so Ramtha gives wisdom from the great beyond. And they channel it and they go into a different voice and the whole thing. And it's super, you know, they're not, they're saying good things. You know, they're saying things about peace and about um, personal responsibility and, a, and about consciousness and energy. And it's generally, it's a positive, it's a very positive mindset. But it's that you got, you have to buy it all in. Like when you're talking about Ramtha, you have to really buy it. Like, and funny, we were talking about this episode. Um, the first thing I thought about was Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> what, Mike? <laughs> Wendy, do you remember Mr. Belvedere? I do remember the show, yes. It's like one of those uh, 80s, like the facts of life and during that the, that phase of uh, who's the boss. Yeah, 1980s sitcoms. <laughs> and I used to love Mr. Belvedere because it had Bob Euchre. Yeah, that's right. Our local Starring, celebrity. Right, right. Well, the most famous Milwaukeean of all time, Bob Euchre. And... So watch Mr. Belvedere and uh, like there was an episode where the daughter of the family and Mr. Belvedere, her friend, starts channeling a spirit guide of a, a 19th century Minnesota farmer named Lars. And the whole thing is that people start following this spirit guide. Oh. And it's ridiculous. You know, the whole thing is ridiculous. And in the end, she's shown – is something going on back then? It, sorry, it's just a- – a- really loud wind blast just 
start screeching. So okay, it sounded like a surprise. thunderbird back there or something, or like a you could hear too. Yeah, no, I heard like a mystical beast in your house. Yeah, I thought something was going on in here. I'm like, what? Oh, I guess it's just the wind. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, watch. Just Cold watch yourself. Um, uh, so, and she's eventually revealed to be a fraud in the whole thing, and she did it just to get attention. But um, in the late 80s, that whole thing of channeling a spirit guide and people going to ask wisdom from the spirit guide, this was this was business. I mean, people paid money. To it's go- funny that that's the first thing you think of is the Mr. Belvedere episode. Because that's stuck in my my mind. Because you were a child back was- then. Yeah, yeah. It's- <laughs> and I'd, I'd always been interested in New Age stuff, so I'd read about that. And to see Mr. Belvedere making oh. fun of it was a particular joy. So would that apply to like Ghostbusters too then? Zool? There is no day now on a Zool. Yeah, I mean, that was that was more of possession. Okay. <laughs> But uh, that's definitely on the same thing. Channeling, oh possession, the whole idea of someone talking. There is no Dana, only Zool. You know, are you the gatekeeper? I'm the key master. Right. And that that whole thing. And this is a this is a big business. Like people make money spreading this wisdom. Do you remember the secret? Oh yeah, I definitely. I mean, that was like widespread. Like ten years ago, that was huge. Like Oprah was talking about it. Yeah. Everybody was talking about the, the movie secret. on the. It was a movie, and it was like on DVD for a while, and then finally it was on the internet. One of the original people who were in the movie, and who were part of the movie, but um, ended up having a disagreement with the author Rhonda Byrne, and then they were taken out of the movie. But a lot of the original movie has this woman named Esther Hicks. Okay. And Esther Hicks has a group of entities that channel through her, her named Abraham. Okay, a group. And so, yeah, a group of non-physical entities. And she says that she's tapping into, quote unquote, infinite intelligence. (laughs) Um, Right. And I know know we're making fun of it, but um, because some of it just sounds so out. It was just the voice that you used when you said that. (laughs) Infinite intelligence. It was like my bad Stewie. My bad Stewie. It did sound like Stewie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But a lot of the... The things of the secret, the the people are the bodies they choose to be, and the basis of life is freedom, and people are creators that create with their thoughts. That's straight out of um, Ab- Abraham's teachings, as channeled through Esther Hicks. Interesting. And so that was big business for, you know, that was big business. The secret made, you know, a few million dollars at the box office. People got paid. Um, yeah. It was part of the Oprah Book Club. And, you know, anything part of the Oprah Book Club is huge money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huge. And, you know, th- there's some other examples of uh, channel text. There's this thing called The Course in Miracles. Have you A Course oh, in yeah. Miracles? That's like – Somebody um, channeled Jesus. Yeah, Wayne Dyer talks about that all the time. And it's on, the same – On PBS. <laughs> yeah, right. Wayne Dyer talks about this on PBS. So it's it's a fairly mainstream kind of thing. Yeah. And – um, but that the the woman that wrote that said that she channeled the big guy JC himself for the whole thing, and in the Wisconsin Dells, there's a vegetarian restaurant called the Cheese Factory that mm, my family goes to all the time. No, it's it's really delicious. It's a popular place. It, it, it's super good, and but all the people there like are from this religious camp based on A Course in Miracles. Okay. 
And there's a healing center near there. There's a couple of different places, like in Wisconsin, that are these healing centers that are influenced by A Course in Miracles. And some of them have restaurants. And you go there and you see it, you know, the restaurants, some of the people that are in the Dells, the people that are serving you are like, usually like like the four you know because the dells brings in like foreigners like a lot of polish a lot of russian a lot of european people during the summer because it's a town of 2500 people and they can't keep up with the tourists during the summer and um but when you go to these different healing centers you see that you know maybe some of these people had been damaged or addicts or whatever and they're going there to turn their life around and part of what they turn their life around with is a course in miracles okay so that's just, uh, you know, and Dr. Dyer talks about it in the, the mainstreaming of it. Like you can get free PBS versions of it. Anyway, so if, if you guys are looking for a little bit more on channeling, uh, there's a movie called Tuning In, which we'll put in the show notes, and that's on YouTube. Um, that talks about channelers, and it's got interviews with them, and it shows them doing their stuff live. Watch the South Park Mormon episode. <laughs> If you watch the South Park Mormon episode, you'll get an idea of people making fun of channelers and channel texts and everything. But um, if you're into religion, channel texts is just – it's part of w- what makes religion religion. Okay. And um, Garnet, Garnet Schulhauser, um, he's got a couple of channel texts of his own. He was a super nice guy. We had an interesting interview. And why don't we listen to it right now? Sounds great. Let's hear it. We're with Garnett Schulhauser, a author from uh, Victoria, British Columbia, and he has written two books about dialogue and astral adventures with a spirit named Albert. Hi, Garnett. How you doing? Good, Mike. How are you doing? Give me a little bit the the Garnett in a minute. Sure. Well, actually, I was born and raised on a small farm in Saskatchewan. Um, which is closer to you, actually, than British Columbia. Okay. And uh, I was raised in a very strict Roman Catholic family. And I was an altar boy and did all the, the, followed all the rules of the Catholic Church, and um, uh, mainly because my mother, who was a, a feisty Irish lady, was determined that her husband and five children would all make it to heaven, even if she had to drag us kicking and screaming. Right. So we went to church a lot, and we followed all the rules. And anyway, when I left home and went off to university, I started questioning a lot of the things that I'd been taught by the church and by my 30s, 40s, had rejected a lot of them. And I was casting about for a new paradigm to latch onto. And I kept on asking myself the questions that I needed, that I sought answers for, uh, questions that, that most adults will ask themselves at one time or another. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Uh, what's my purpose in life? And mm-hmm. what happens to me when I die? And, and so then one day, um, when I was, uh, in, after I graduated from uh, university, I, I was uh, practicing law in Calgary, um, where I practiced for like 34 years. Okay. I was a corporate lawyer in a big firm, um, very straight-laced, and, uh, you know, often uh, people would accuse me of being a stuffed shirt. Sure, uh, my, f- my wife's a lawyer, and I keep on trying to convince her to go into corporate law so that I can retire and just do this all the time, but it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the advantage of corporate law, in my mind, is we don't ever go to court. So it was very much of a of a desk job, um, and it was good. Um, but I wasn't uh, wasn't in any way outwardly spiritual in any sense. Sure. But but that all that that all turned around. This is a, a sunny afternoon in 2007. I was still practicing law, and I went for a walk down the street, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this homeless man jumped out in front of me. 
and he was uh, he looked like a typical homeless man, you know, with scruffy clothes and and greasy hair and all that sort of thing. Um, and my usual practice on that street when I encountered these people would be to make a quick sidestep around. Sure, of course. But but this guy was different. He had these amazing, dazzling blue eyes um, that were sending this stream of amazing, unconditional love from him to me and infusing my whole body with a, an amazing sense of peace and security. And so it was wonderful. Like, I just knew this guy was special. And uh, anyway, uh, I was standing there for a while like a deer caught in the headlights and sort of enjoying uh, uh, his, his wonderful gaze. And he broke the spell by saying, why are you here? And then he quickly disappeared into a store. And uh, I went in, when I collected my wits, I went in there to look for him, to find him, and he would disappear. He wasn't in the store, wasn't out on the street. Uh, I walked up and down, couldn't find him. So I went back to my office, and, and I resolved that night that I had to go back there the next afternoon to see if I could find him. What was the day like? you have any other, you know, like things happening that morning? Was it a did you wake up and see anything weird or... Anything different in your day? Was it was it the first moment when um, somebody walked out in front of you? Yeah, no, it was, there was nothing uh, uh, unusual about the day except when he, this homeless man, jumped out in front of me. So everything else was a, a fairly normal Monday, um, and uh, I always hate hated Mondays. I don't know about you, but yeah, no, it, I'm not a big fan myself. And and so it was, and so I went for a walk just because I was uh, felt there was cobwebs uh, forming in my brain. Uh, in the afternoon, and so I went out to get some fresh air, and then and so it was a very typical day, except when this man jumped out in front of me. So, in any event, after the first the, that first encounter, I resolved to go back the next day to find him. And after walking up and down the street for, you know, fifteen or twenty minutes, I, I suddenly spotted him sitting on a bench by himself. So um, I went up to him and I said, "You know, who are you, uh, and why did you stop me the other day and ask me that question?" And he said, "I'm a soul just like you." Uh, I'm here to answer your questions and help you on your journey. Um, and then my my lawyer brain, uh, being you know lawyers are, tend to be skeptical. Sure. My lawyer brain Good. kicked in. Uh, you, well, you're married to a lawyer, so you probably know this, Mike. Yeah, she's skeptical of all my stories. Yeah. So my my skepti- <laughs> skepticism kicked in, and I said to him, "Well, how can you help me? You look like you've been sleeping on the street for a couple of weeks um, w- without you know having a shower, um, and you uh, you know you smell like a dead fish. How, how are right. you going to help me?" And he, uh, he just gave me a big smile and said, you know, looks can be deceiving because you look like you're a successful lawyer with everything under control, but we both know that's just a facade. He said, you know, you can turn around and go back to your office and see if you, you can find the answers to all your life questions waiting for you in all those emails on your computer, or you can sit down and chat with me. So I thought, well, what the heck, what do I have to lose? So I sat sure. down and, and, I, and, and we started a conversation a conversation which then went on for several months after that, in which he answered all my questions and, uh, and you know and many more. Um, he gave me some amazing revelations. I found out early on that he was actually one of my spirit guides in disguise. Where did you guys talk? Like, did you go? I mean, so you see him on the park bench, is is where you'd see him. And is this like in downtown Calgary or like yeah, what? It's downtown on Stephen Avenue Mall, which is a, a pedestrian mall just right outside my office building. So the, first, so the first conversation was on the park bench. The next one was that he showed up suddenly one Saturday afternoon on my back deck. No one else was home, and I just happened to glance out, and there this guy is sitting on uh, one of the deck chairs. And I went out and had the second conversation with him there. 
then after that, he didn't appear in physical form anymore, Mike. He was just a voice in my head. Okay. And so we communicated by telepathy. And when I asked him, like, why did you appear as a homeless man and now you're not? He said, I wanted to ease you into the conversation because if I had just started talking to you as a voice in your head, you probably would have thought you were losing your mind. Right. No, that's I mean, you voice in your head. You're like, that's, you know, schizophrenia. Talking. I'm, 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 I'm getting schizophrenia. Yeah. So he said this way, um, you know, you, you saw yeah, I, I came to you as a, as a physical person. Um, and so now you recognize my voice. So when I'm talking to you, you know who it is and you, you know, we're just going to continue the dialogue. So that made a lot of sense. And so did you, you know, I don't know if, if you're married or did you like tell your wife about it or anything or? I didn't tell my wife about my encounters for some time because I was just concerned about what she would think about it all. Sure. And I certainly didn't tell anyone else. Like I, I literally told nobody, Not certainly didn't tell my law partners or anyone else because I thought that uh, they might thought I, w- I was losing my mind. So I had to sort of wrestle with it in my own space for quite a while before I sort of broached the subject. But how did you get over your initial skepticism about it? Like what was that in the moment where you're like, okay, I think Albert's for real? Well, just sort of partway into the first conversation, mm-hmm. the way he spoke and, 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 and the way he, um, you know, answered my questions were, were, were it was such a forthright manner. Um, his, his answers rang true in my heart. Uh, intuitively, I just sensed that this guy was really telling me the, 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 the truth and that he really was one of my spirit guides. And, and then I was certainly um, convinced when, uh, when he no longer showed, well, we, you know, when he just sort of appeared as in the, my back deck one afternoon. Right. And like, I how does he know where I live? Yeah. I didn't tell him where I lived. And so <laughs> how did he know and how does he suddenly appear? And so that, that it was it firmly in my mind, it was like, this guy is special. And then after that, he just spoke by telepathy. So I knew that, that this, this certainly was no ordinary guy. After I, I, my, my meeting, initial meeting with Albert and my conversations, it just seemed then that uh, practicing law didn't seem to make any sense to me. There was nothing in it for me. And so I retired about a year later in 2008. And then when I retired, I sort of had to struggle with the idea, you know, should I write a book? Should I not? I mean, should I? I mean, it was a, a struggle to decide if I should come out of the spiritual closet. Okay, because, right, right. Because obviously you weren't already in that world, you know, with your friends and stuff like that, probably. No, and, and nobody would have guessed for, for in a second that I was... Uh, a spiritual person, or I'd had a series of conversations with my spirit guide. I kept that to myself. I did tell my wife uh, eventually, and she was, you know, very supportive, and said, "Yes, go ahead and write your book." And then, so then I proceeded to start writing my book. And then, when I had finished writing it, I still had that final decision point: like, should I just take this manuscript and throw it in the drawer somewhere and, and hide it forever, or should I go find a publisher? And so eventually I, I crossed that bridge and I realized that, you know, it was something I had to do. I, if I didn't do it, I would regret it forever. So I went and found a publisher and I, and I published it. And I knew that there would be some fallout. I knew that some of my former law colleagues and clients would, you know, would shake their head and think that this guy should be hauled away in a straitjacket. Um, but I knew that other people would accept it. And so it did happen. And, and some of my friends, you know, basically... Sh- shunned me and didn't speak to me for the longest time because, you know, who knows what they were thinking, but they didn't come, you know, they, they just sort of shunned me. So I lost some people. I gained some people because of, of new people who read my book. So, you know, it was a bit of a, a give and take, but I knew that that might happen. Um, and, but I don't regret it. I, 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 I'm really happy that I made that decision to publish my book. Well, how, like, so when you were working on the book, when you meet someone that claims to be your spirit guide, 
What's the first question that you ask them? Well, first question is, well, okay, who am I? You know, who am I really? And why am I here? That's the first question. And he had a very good answer. He said, you know, you're an eternal soul like everyone else. And you're here because you chose to come to incarnate as, as a human on earth so you could learn things and experience things to help your evolution as a soul. So he said, you know, nobody forced you to come here. God didn't say, okay, you're off, you're, I'm slotting you into this life uh, because I have some reasons uh, or just for my own amusement or whatever. Mm-hmm. I chose to come here just like everyone else did, just like you did. And before I came, I prepared a life plan where I set out the significant events in my you know, circumstances of my life. So like where I was born, who my parents were, you know, my first language, the identity of my siblings and other relatives and friends and co-workers. So I, I planned all that beforehand. And then um, uh, uh, some of the other significant events in my life were also sort of roughly set out. But, but our life plans don't, uh, it, it, it's, they don't determine everything in our lives because there's a lot of empty spaces and we have free will when we're on earth and we don't remember that we had a life plan. So we often go off course. And, and that's just part of life on earth. It's a, as Albert said, uh, earth is a very difficult school, one of the most difficult ones in the universe. Um, and, uh, you know, you just have to struggle and find your way through, even though it, it, it feels like you're, you're blindly floundering around because you're not sure where you should be going. We do get guidance, though, from our spirit guides. Like he was one of my guides. We all have two or three spirit guides. Their job is to try to coach us during our lives, to try to get us back on course. And they do this for the most part, not like Albert did with me with a direct sort of telepathic conversation. It's very subtle messages. It's like in, intuitive flashes, um, you know, gut feelings, uh, coincidental events, whispers in your mind. And the trick for us is to, is, to, is to be able to discern those messages and to listen and, and, and react to them. And, we're, and all too often our minds are just way too cluttered with, with thoughts of what happened last week. You know, what am I going to do tomorrow? And we just miss them. So the life plan thing is, is interesting that we, you know, we made these choices before we showed up and that we kind of knew what we were getting into. And do you ever ask or do you ever say like why some people would choose a harder journey than others? When you see those Christian Children's Fund commercials and you see the starving mm-hmm. kids in Africa or South America or the, you know, the, the sub-Asian, the Asian subcontinent, you're just like, oh my, man, that, why people would choose that? Did he kind of get into that a difficult life? Oh, absolutely. He said, he said that it's, it's hard for us to understand why someone would choose to become or be born as a starving child in Africa. He said, but that soul had a very good reason. And there are some lessons and, and experiences that it wanted to, to in, enjoy. It, it's probably not the right word, but to experience, sure. um, in, in, you know, in, in that life. And, and it's not, I mean, we will never figure it out here. When we're back on the spirit side, we'll, of course, we'll know fully well why that soul chose that. Uh, but but it's, it's for life experiences, and and, and uh, you know so the, so the the soul in that child starving in Africa, just like you and me, uh, the soul chose to go there, and it it, it had a very specific reason for that, um, and uh, it, you know it, it it's never we're not slotted into lives by random chance or by anyone else. We choose it, and we choose it for a very good reason, and it may it it, it may uh, we can't figure it out as humans right now why somebody would do that but when we're on the spirit side it'll make perfect sense to us and then when you're back in the spirit side mike you'll be able to look back at your life plan and say okay so that's why i came into that life and that's what i wanted to learn 
And then you'll look back and say, okay, did I learn my lessons that I had planned? Did I miss some? But it doesn't really matter because you can come back as often as you want until you hit, hit all the points on your checklist. The first couple times you meet Albert, it's outside, it's in a physical form, it's, it's in a park, and then it's at your house. And so about how long after that, about that second time that he showed up at the house, and, and when he says goodbye, too, did he be like, I'll see you later, and then just like vanish? Or did he just walk, I mean, did he walk out? He, he, when he was in physical form, he just sort of walked, uh, walked away and disappeared, and so I, and I couldn't see him anymore. And, and when, when I was speaking with him by, by telepathy, of course, he wasn't there physically, and so he would just say when the conversation was in, he'll say, okay, um, you know, bye for now, we'll, we'll talk to you later, just, just like, you know, two friends saying goodbye. Um, so, that, so that's how he would say goodbye. Um, and after the, uh, the, the first series of, of conversations that I had with him, which led to my writing of Dancing on a Stamp, he disappeared for a while and he said, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to sort of go offline for a while because you need time to sit down and write your manuscript. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have any questions while you're writing it, uh, you can certainly tap into me, but I'm just going to leave you alone to write your book. He had been gone for a while, and then the second set of encounters were really quite different, Mike. Um, these were the astral adventures. Um, I was sleeping in my bed um, one night, and I heard a noise, and I sat up in bed, and I could see this ethereal figure, this shimmering figure standing in the doorway. And as it moved closer to my bed, I could, I could recognize it. It was Albert as the homeless man, except he was in astral form. And I said, oh, and, and nice what, what is that Now, what does that mean, being in astral form? Well, he, 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 he didn't have a physical body. An astral body is, uh, it's mostly transparent, kind of shimmers, sort of ghost-like, you know? Okay. You've heard people talk about ghosts in their house and so on. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what it looks like. Um, and you, you couldn't, um, you know, if, if a physical person tried to touch him, there would be nothing there. It was just, it, it was, you know, you could just sort of barely make out the outline. Sure. Uh, and, and so he said to me uh, that he had come to take me on the next uh, series of adventures with him and that he felt that a picture was worth a thousand words. So he wasn't going to just talk to me about what he wanted to impart to other people. He was going to show me things. And I said, okay, well, that's great. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, how long are we going to be gone? Do I have to tell my wife where I'm going? You know, uh, right, do you need a passport? Yeah, you need a passport. Do I need, uh, who's going to take out my garbage in the morning? <laughs> right. I mean, how are we doing this? He said, oh, not to worry. He said, we're going in, ast- you know, in astral form, uh, and you'll be back in your body before anyone knows you're gone. So don't worry about those things. So he reached out, grabbed my hand, pulled my astral body out of my physical body, and I turned around, looked around, and my, my physical body was still sleeping soundly in bed. And so... I looked down at my body, my astral body, and it was sort of like Albert's. It was sort of like mostly transparent, kind of shimmering, um, but it looked like my body, just in an astral form. Um, He grabbed my hand and said, okay, come on. So we rose up through the ceiling. When you're in astral form, you can pass through solid walls and ceilings and all kinds of things, you know, and and it's an amazing feeling of lightness. So he, he, he took me and we floated up through the ceiling, up through the clouds and stopped high above earth where we hovered there for a few moments. He let me turn around and look back at, at, at our beautiful planet. And uh, it was really quite something to see. I mean, I, I really, uh, you know, I've always envied the astronauts when they're out in space about being able to see earth from space. So I had my chance and it's really quite an amazing sight. Our, our planet is, is a, a very beautiful. It's like a, a, a jewel floating in a, 
in a black sea of ink. It's just, uh, it's really quite amazing. How long did it take you to adjust to an out-of-body experience? I mean, was it something, I mean, I've heard that people have, you know, they meditate to try to get out-of-body experiences. They, I even had a book one time that said, have an out-of-body experience in 30 days, but it never worked for me. So when you, when you got into that, you know, when you came out of your body, when your spirit left your body, I mean, did you freak out? Did it seem unsafe? Did you think like, hey, am I going to be able to get back in? You know, what, like, what went through your head for those first, you know, and maybe after a while you get used to it and everything, but what went through your head for the first couple minutes? Initially, I was concerned about, um, will I be able to get back into my body? Am I, am I sort of gone forever? Uh, uh, you know, but Albert reassured me that yes, I was going to come back. He would, he would, he would let me uh, jump back into my body, and that uh, uh, everything would be fine. Um, Albert himself gave me a lot of comfort. I wasn't doing this on my own, Mike. He, like he was right there beside me. I, I felt a lot of comfort from him, a lot of security, and he basically, for the first while, would take me by the arm and sort of lead me along. So I didn't have to learn how to travel astrally. He, I kind of just followed along and uh, uh, Albert, and, and who obviously was very experienced at, at, at traveling in this fashion. And it was, uh, so I had some initial concerns, but quickly decided that, hey, this was great, that I could go places, you know, almost, almost instantaneously. Sure. Um, and I could follow Albert around and I didn't have to worry about, you know, security checkpoints or uh, waiting at a gate or right. uh, you know, all the other stuff that traveling on earth entails. So it was really quite nice. And so it, it, it my insecurity didn't last very long. Um, and uh, when he took me in, you know, th- through the doorway into the spirit side, then, then all my concerns just, just totally vanished because it was so amazing to actually enter the, the, uh, the spirit side and the first thing we saw when we got in there was we were in, I was in this beautiful meadow with uh, lush green grass and, you know, amazing, beautiful trees. Hey, hey, and, real quick, real quick. How did you get over? So when you start with, so you start with you guys float up through the ceiling and you get to space, enough, you get far enough into space where you can see, you can see space. You can see the earth and the, and the and space behind it. Absolutely. And, and then when you went to the, spirit plane the other side i mean how like was it a doorway was it a a finger snap and you teleported like how did you get from space to the spirit plane well it was the doorway and and when when i when he let me uh when i was finished of gazing at our planet he he turned me around and said okay let's go and there was this this doorway was shimmering sort of a, a soft light shimmering doorway and behind the, the inside of the door was just total blackness, like black velvet. Whereas around the door, I could see this, the stars in our galaxy behind it. So it was just totally black. And so he basically pulled me through this door. And once I went through the door, all of a sudden, it was like the lights went on. And there I was in the, in the middle of a, of a beautiful meadow, uh, and, which was really, as, as I was describing, really uh, resplendent with wildflowers in amazing colors, colors that you never see on Earth or you'd be hard-pressed to describe what they were like. They're just a, a whole variety of iridescent colors in these wildflowers, and the perfume wafting up from them was just uh, it was almost intoxicating. Okay. It, was, it was so wonderful. Uh, so that's the first spot on the spirit side that we ended up in. Um, and then he, he led me down this path through the meadow, and we went up a, a small hill. And at the top of the hill, I looked down at the bottom on the other side, and there was a group of people, a group of souls, and as I got closer, uh, you know, I 
my heart skipped the beat because I recognized them. They were my mother and father, my brother, grandparents, aunts and uncles who'd already passed away. Uh, they were there to welcome me. And even my little dog, Oscar, who had passed away about 10 years before, he came running out from behind the crowd and came with his tail wagging furiously. And he came running up to me and, uh, and licked my face. And, I, and, and that was really quite a nice welcome. So it was, uh, it was really a nice welcoming party. Um, I, I felt a bit apprehensive, Mike, um, about meeting my mother, uh, not because I didn't want to see her, but because I was afraid that she would not like what I had written in my first book about the Catholic Church, and I wasn't kind to the Church in that book. My mother had been such a staunch uh, Roman Catholic, and um, it, a lot of the stuff in Dancing on a Stamp flew in the face of what the, that the Church had been preaching for centuries and what they believed in. And so, anyway, uh, to my relief, she quickly said, yeah, don't worry about it because, um, uh, you know, if I was still living on earth, I would be unhappy with you about what you wrote in your book. But now that I'm here on the spirit side, I can see the whole picture. And I think what you did was great. And thank you for spreading Albert's message. So it was a nice big relief for me. Um, and so, so we, did Albert know your family or anything? I mean, as your spirit guide, like how did he, as your spirit guide, like how, I mean, was he like friends with your parents? Is it like, how does he know you? How did, how did he, he pick you uh, to guide? Well, actually it was me who picked him because typically when, when a soul is planning to, uh, um, to incarnate and as part of their life planning process, they do try to choose some guides to be their, some souls to be their guides. And usually they'll try to pick somebody that has experience previously in, in the sort of the conditions that you're going into. Um, and often it's somebody that you may have had previous lives on earth with. And so uh, Albert tells me that he and I had previous lives on earth together. And so I'm not quite sure why I picked him, but I thought he might be, you know, a good guy, uh, you know, for me to be a guide. And sometimes uh, though the council of wise ones will, will sort of suggest to a soul that they should have that person or the other person as their guide to sort of, uh, suit the sort of the life that you're planning. So it sort of happens both ways. Um, he didn't say how, how he became my guide, but I could just assume that uh, it was either I, I picked him or he was sort of, uh, you know, coached to, to, to take the position by the Council of Wise Ones. Well, who, are, he, now who are the Council of Wise Ones? Well, like, how does that, I mean, how does that, um, like, how do you get a spot? Or like, what is, so is there like a hierarchy? Like, just... Who are the Council of Wise Ones? Well, the Council of Wise Ones are a group of very wise, advanced souls. And their job is to oversee uh, the incarnations on Earth. Um, so even though they're very advanced, there's no, according to Albert, there's no hierarchy uh, like we know on Earth of souls. Some souls are newer souls. Some have more experience. You know, some are further up the, uh, have, have advanced further up the, the evolution ladder. Uh, then there's like, Masters who are very advanced souls, uh, people like uh, souls like Jesus Christ and Moses and some of the people from Earth's history, they were masters. They came down uh, to Earth for a very specific purpose, uh, but they're very advanced. And then you have the Council of Wise Ones who are even more advanced. But Albert says it, it's not like a hierarchy where the, the advanced souls are better than the newer souls. Okay. It's just, just that they're more advanced. And he said it's a very collegial atmosphere and there's no, uh, uh, you know, there's no uh, I'm better than you kind of attitude at all. So, so the council is very wise souls, but they don't have any, uh, they don't hold any, that over anybody else. And their job, which they love doing, is to try to help us when we make our, our, our life plans to give us advice as to whether the plans we've chosen, the life that we've chosen, 
is appropriate for us. It, 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 and they, will, they will discourage us from taking on uh, too harsh of a life and biting off more than we can chew. And so they're, they're just very in, in, in a sort of a counseling role. Anyway, these people, I met with them uh, on my first trip to the spirit side. Um, and they were, you know, after I, I left my family group, Albert took me into this beautiful white city called Eglea, uh, which is one of the cities on the spirit side. And uh, we strolled through the street and he took me into this beautiful, huge building with white pillars called the Hall of Wisdom. And inside a, a big chamber there, the, the Council of Wise Ones was seated around a a semicircle table, and uh, they, uh, they had a message for me. They, they had asked Albert to bring me there because they wanted me to hear what they had to say so I could write about it in my book and let everyone else on earth know what their concern was. So uh, it, it, it was a planned meeting, and I, it was really quite amazing because these people were uh, very regal, beautiful old souls who uh, had nothing but unconditional love for, for me and everybody else and who understood how how tough life was on earth and they try to do their best to to steer us into a life uh that would be best suited for our evolution so when you went over to the other side you were still who you were um on earth pretty much did any memory come flooding back or anything like that no i was pretty much uh who i was on earth uh which was sort of a special way uh for me to be on the spirit side because when Typically, when we die, we go back to spirit side and we do get, regain all the memories of our previous lives and we understand the, the whole scheme of things with our incarnations on earth. That didn't come flooding to me. They did that deliberately because they knew that I was not sort of back there permanently. I still had a life on earth and they didn't want to uh, give me a bunch of memories that might uh, confuse me or be disturbing to me when I got back into my body. So they basically shielded me from that. With, with a couple of exceptions, I did get to go to the Akashic Records um, a few times, and I saw uh, Albert showed me a few segments from my current life that, that, that um, were there to teach me a lesson. And he also showed me uh, segments from a few of my past lives. But it was very well chosen on his part, and I couldn't get to see sort of the whole range of all the lives I've had on Earth or anywhere else. So uh, 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 my visit there was very specifically tailored to uh, allow me to see some things but not to get the sort of the full range of my memories back um, as I would when my, my body dies and I cross over permanently. And we should explain the um, Akashic Records. Well, the Hall of Records was a building in, in, in the city in Aglaia. And uh, we went into one of the viewing rooms. Albert took me in there. There was this big holographic globe sitting sort of hovering in the center of the room. And what that did, uh, when, when Albert, he knew how to manipulate it, so he'd wave his hand and all of a sudden there'd be a scene. And it was like watching a 3D movie. Um, and, and by the way, the Akashic Records are, have the records of every life that has ever been lived in the universe. So uh, in the Akashic Records, I could see, if Albert let me, every other life I've ever lived. I could also, if I was curious, go and look at, at all the lives you've lived, Mike. And anyone else. Great. I'd, I'd like to know what kind of lives I've lived. <laughs> well, it's quite amazing, yeah. And you said it looks like a 3D movie. Can you give an example of a specific thing that happened to you? That he was like, yeah, you know, here's, here's one of the lessons that you were meant to learn, that you chose to learn when you went down. The first time I was there, he showed me a couple segments from my current life here on Earth. Um, and, uh, you know, by the way, um, when you're looking at this holographic globe, you can watch it as a 3D movie. The other thing is you can actually... Uh, put yourself back into your body and that life for 
for a while to sort of be back right in the first person. Okay. Um, and, and, and so you can watch it anyway, like a like third person, first person. Um, and the other amazing thing is that you can actually listen to the thoughts and feel the feelings and the emotions of the people you interact with. So that if, you, if you've said something nasty to a coworker one day, um, you can actually feel the hurt and humiliation that that person felt and, and hear their thoughts, which really is a great learning tool because you, you often go through life saying things off the cuff you know, to people without really realizing the impact our words have on them. And this, this life review, it really hits you over the head with like, oh, oh, I, I didn't really, you know, I just, I was joking. I didn't mean to hurt this person, but boy, did it ever uh, hit him with like, like a, a sledgehammer between sure. the eyes. So it was a great learning tool. Anyway, so one of the one of the things in my life was that he showed me um, a scene from when I was in the seventh grade um, at, at school, um, and uh, the, the recess bell rang, and uh, you know we all f- filed out of the room in, into the playground to have a pickup game of soccer, and we were all all the guys were sort of running towards the field, and um, one of my chubby friends, Adam, uh, was sort of lagging behind because he couldn't run that fast, and I turned around and said to him. You know, hurry up, fatso, we don't have all day. Um, just joking. Right. Uh, but then I got to, in, in this life review, I got to hear uh, Albert's thoughts and his feelings, and it was like he was devastated. He was like, you know, why are you calling me names and making fun of me in front of all the, all the other students? You know, I, I thought you were my friend, and now you've humiliated me, and I feel so awful. I'd like to just drop into a hole somewhere and disappear. And it was really... You know, I, 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 as I was watching this, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I didn't mean to hurt him. Right. Uh, but uh, I was just not paying attention to what I was saying. And, and so that was a lesson to me is that always, I always try since then to think about how the people I'm speaking to will take what I'm saying um, and, and think carefully before I say my words because, um, it, you know, it's it just too easy to, to hurt other people. And that was a, a, a real hard, you know, lesson for me to learn, but it was one that I needed to learn. Were they speaking with accents or anything in this city? Like, how, what, how are the people talking? And were people talking just regular or was it, was it telepathy up there in the spirit world? Well, they, they, they looked like normal physical people and, and they were... It was basically speaking by telepathy. I, I could understand, you know, as we were walking down the street, streets were crowded with souls. And one of the amazing things, Mike, was that they were all, for the most part, dressed in different attire, like from different countries, from different eras. And it was all very colorful. It was like, I felt like I had been dropped into a costume ball. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, said, I said to Albert, you know, like, what's going on? And he said, well, souls on the spirit side can choose any appearance they want. And they can change it as often as they want, and they will often uh, appear to others in a in the form of a person that they in a, in a past life that they happen to enjoy, or they felt comfortable with, and so that's why you get so many different eras in different countries. Um, and he said, and and the, and the souls who don't uh, choose to appear that way will often just appear as a globe of light. But he said, every soul is recognized, no matter what their outward appearance, because we all have a unique energy signature. Um, and that just tells everyone else who we are, and so we can never, we can never disguise ourselves or, or hide because uh, our signature is always evident to everyone. Not that we'd want to disguise ourselves, but uh, these people dressed up differently, not as a means of disguise, but just because they felt comfortable with that, because they may have really enjoyed a previous life where they wore those garments. So you know, I almost find heaven to be completely incomprehensible, because what would paradise be like, really? 
you know, what, what do you do? Like, you know, we, we so define our lives here on earth through the challenges we overcome and the struggles that we participate in. Well, it's a very good question, and it was one of the things that I asked Albert. And, uh, you know, my, my vision uh, as growing up of heaven is that it was a, a place where you sat on fluffy white clouds listening to harp music. Right. And that, and that kind of bothered me in a way because, like, uh, like you just mentioned, it's sort of like, well, if that's all that you do in heaven, wouldn't you get bored silly after a while? And Albert said, no, the, the, there's no boredom because the, the, the challenge that every soul has um, on the spirit side it's not like a challenge is here. They don't have to, you know, work so they can put a roof over their heads or food on the table, because they don't need shelter and they don't eat. Um, they don't have those kinds of challenges. Um, but their challenge is to, is to learn, uh, increase their wisdom, and evolve as souls. And, and so, so part of that is, uh, you know, okay, where should I incarnate? Uh, because souls can incarnate anywhere in the universe and there's lots of planets millions and millions of planets where they that have life forms that you can incarnate into okay so, so they can choose other planets other life forms or they can choose being a human on earth and, it, and and so their challenge is to try to pick pick some lives and incarnations where they can experience things that will uh, help their evolution and so that's the challenge and and the universe is so vast and it's ever-changing like it's the universe is basically infinite so the, you, as a soul, you never run out of different situations, different life forms to go into, and you never ever explore everything in the universe because it's infinite. And so, you, you, all souls are sort of on a uh, on a never-ending journey of exploration. Um, there's no finish line, uh, and you just you just keep on going, which is a bit mind-boggling, Mike, for humans on Earth. But yeah, uh, I'd say. <laughs> But it's so hard to get your mind around it a bit. But 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 Albert said to souls on the spirit side makes great sense, and everyone is very uh, very busy. Uh, they're challenged. Uh, they're happy, um, and there is no boredom on the spirit side. So where on the spirit side, like where do souls come from? I mean, do souls have the same kind of like do our souls on the spirit side have the same kind of questions of purpose and 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 questions of you know, where exactly did they come from that we have here? No, because they all know where they came from, and they were they were spun out from the source. The source is, is the, you know, people refer to the source as God or the creator. Uh, the source is the sum total of everything in the universe. But there are some uh, focal points for the source, the central sun, where new souls are birthed, and they're just sort of spun out like sparks of light from a sun. And the new souls, uh, when they leave the, the central sun, they immediately know, uh, you know, where they came from, what their mission is, which is to go out and explore the universe and 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 learn experience from incarnations. Um, so they don't have that question at all, and they know that they're there to to uh, to grow and evolve. And and so the, they they don't have the questions that we do, Mike, because they know exactly the 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 scheme of things on the spirit side and why they're there. How long were you over there? It's difficult to tell because there is no linear time on the spirit side, Mike. Okay. So there's no past, there's no future, just one big now. Everything's in the present, which is another concept that's hard for us to get our heads around. Um, but so, you know, the uh, as Albert liked to say, uh, we're, we're so used to linear time on Earth. Uh, he said, but like a, an 80-year lifespan for a human on Earth, say, it's just like the blink of an eye over there. So you're a soul on the spirit side, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to go in and uh, and take over this and, and, and incarnate and take over this life." Um, to the souls there, 
you're hardly gone before you're back. Sure, it's like a day trip. Yeah, even though on Earth, 80 years can seem like a long time. Right. You, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's a different concept of time. So I'm not sure how long. I, I do know that in Earth time, I was back in my body before morning. So, um, you know, my wife was still sleeping and so was my little dog. And to all intents and purposes, I never went anywhere. I was, you know, uh, I was still Right, your body sleeping. was still there. My body was still there. So, so every time I, I left and came back, I always came back, you know, before my physical body woke up. Did he say like why he he picked you to try to write these books and stuff? And was um, did he think that maybe you looked more believable, or you know a certain kind of thing as a you know as as a lawyer or something? Well, he, he I did ask that question. He said that they he said that he has many me- messengers. He channels through a lot of people on Earth. I'm just one of them. He, okay. he said he picked me because. Um, in, in some of my previous lives on Earth, I had been a, a writer, and he thought that maybe some of that uh, talent might have leaked, or might leak through to this current life, and so he wanted somebody who who they, he thought could could write a book and 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 write one that made sense and was uh, easy to read for other people. So that was why he uh, he fingered me for for this job. Now, do souls on the other side have free will? Is it you know, do they get to make decisions or is, uh, are their existences kind of planned for them? No, they have total free will. They make every decision about, you know, where they're going to incarnate, when they're going to incarnate, uh, you know, where they're going to explore in the universe. Um, uh, they, they, they can choose the timetable, the pace of their evolution. They can go quickly. They can go slowly. Um, you know, some souls will come back from an incarnation on Earth and they may have had a real tough life, and they can say, "Okay, well, I'm not going back there. I'm, I've I've had enough of that planet, and I'm uh, I'm going to stay in the spirit side and and learn from here, or I'm going to go to an easier planet." So it's a total freedom of choice. No one tells them what to do. They can get lots of advice, like from the Council of Wise Ones and from and from uh, more advanced souls, lots of advice about what they should do. But the ultimate decision is up to each soul. So it's totally free will. What do the Council of Wise Ones want human beings to know? Well, their, their message was really a call to action for humans. And what they said to me was, our civilization is at a very advanced stage. We have really advanced technology, but our emotional intelligence hasn't kept up. And so that means there's still too many negative emotions controlling people and humans and countries on our planet. You know, the fear and anger and hate and greed and jealousy. And that that's and, and that leads and, and that results in all the conflicts we have, the murders and the terror bombs and the wars and the genocide. And and they said we've really got to curtail this and embrace love and discard our negative emotions. And we have to do this before we before we uh, end up uh, with our we- technology and our weapons of mass destruction destroying everything on our planet. And they said that has happened to civilizations before, like Atlantis and Lemuria. And, and several others we're not even aware of. Um, and those civilizations rose up to a very advanced state and then crashed and burned. And they're afraid that our current civilization has the potential to do that unless we recognize the fact that we really have to increase our in consciousness, become more spiritual, and increase our vibrations. And the ultimate carrot, the goal that we need to, have to, to shoot for is to uh, rise up into Earth in a higher dimension where negative emotions don't exist and we have very idyllic experiences and 
a lot of humans have already made that shift. Uh, you've probably heard about that, about people talking about making the shift from 3D to 5D. That's basically what they were talking about. Um, and well, no, I haven't heard about making the shift from 3D to 5D. I can't get that at Best Buy, can I? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> that that's just what that that's just the labels that some people use in terms of making the shift to a higher d- uh, dimension. Uh, but uh, in in my second book, Dancing Forever Spirit, I describe a trip that, that Albert took me to uh, uh, Earth in a higher dimension, and I visited with a civilization there. It was really quite amazing, and it's really the kind of place that we all want to go to. But we have to do our best and everyone has ha, has a job you have a job and i have a job to try to get the message out to all the other humans so we can get rid of our negative emotions and take the, the, the next step up the uh, spiritual ladder so that was the, in a nutshell the message from the council of wise ones garnett i want to thank you very much for joining us today thank you mike for for having me uh, i really enjoyed being on your show wow well that was quite an interesting interview mike you did a nice job <laughs> thank you well you know whatever you think of channeling Garnett has a really positive message. And, you know, if you have questions as, like, what happens to the human after it dies? What is our purpose in the universe? All those kind of things, that, the kind of big questions that people ask. When somebody has a good message, it's way better than something that's hateful or judgmental or anything like that that they could believe. So I think if you're going to go for it, you might as well go with something that makes you happy. For sure. And, I mean, it was really cool of, of him to contact us and to share his stories and um, yeah. you need to hear somebody who actually channels, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, he, he channels and he's got a message. So uh, right. take a listen to it. And, and if you're into it, check out his books, uh, Dancing on a Stamp and uh, Forever with Spirit. Okay, so for this week's song, we're reaching back in the Akashic Records to our song Stardust, which was influenced by the channeled text, The Book of the Law, by our man, holy moly, it's Alistair Crowley. Ah. Um, in the book of the law, they say, do what thou wilt, that shall be the whole of the law. Love under will. And our song says that love is the only law, and it cannot be killed. And um, that's where that influence comes from, and this track is called Stardust. Yes, and also we have a pretty cool video, I think it's pretty cool, where uh, you took a bunch of the... <laughs> pictures that nasa got with the hubble and it's kind of just a neat background to to watch as you listen to our song so if you'd like to see that check out the show notes page for this episode which is othersidepodcast.com slash 32 so here it is the song stardust Of the sunset that I 
have died. listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.